Welcome back to hell, where we talk about terrible people and terrible situations, both worthy of going to hell. I'm your host, Jordan. And I'm your other host, Lainey. And the topic this week belongs in the circle of hell of Dante's Inferno. You know the one I'm talking about. Oh, yes. It belongs in circle seven or eight. What's the seventh and eighth level of hell? So uh, the seventh level of hell is anger, of course, and the eighth level of hell is fraud. So we put those two together. What do you think our topic this week is? Ooh, okay. Uh, 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 anger. So we deal with anger. We deal with fraud. Anger. Put, so combine them both. Aggression, fraud, white collar crime. Ooh, a white collar crime. Ooh, okay. I think we're a little on to something mm. now. Um, we're just gonna jump right into it. Are you ready to get into it? I don't even have any banter. I'm excited. I'm ready to get down oh, to I'm it. Oh, I'm excited too. Ah, ah, ah. Okay, go for it. Okay. The topic this week is we're calling this one the Chemist War of Prohibition. Ooh. Yes. So prohibition is no alcohol. The 18th Amendment, no alcohol, right? Secret bars. Okay. Secret bars, speakeasies. We got Al Capone. We got, you know, all of them mafia people. It's great. My wedding was themed out. Oh, yes. Shimmy dress. I'm stoked. Shimmy dress. Shimmy dress. All right. So our story begins with the 18th Amendment, which is pop quiz. Ba-da-ding. We just said it. Prohibition? Pro- pro- prohibition. Prohibition. I was like, yeah, prohibition? Is this what you're leading me to? Yes, yes. Prohibition. <laughs> 18th Amendment equals prohibition. <laughs> On January 16th, nineteen. 19- 1936 out of the then 48 states voted to add the 18th amendment which banned the manufacture sale or transportation of intoxicating liquors for beverage purposes to the u.s constitution that was a mouthful yeah so let's take a guess on what states you think voted against this I'm going to think the more party side of the USA. So I'm thinking like northern, okay. kind of eastern side. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like okay. New York. Okay. Yeah. Ding dong. Okay. Ah. We got one. Ooh. Okay. Um. So what about like, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, God. I'm thinking of states now. Uh. This, this first one comes to your mind. First one comes like to your mind. Like South Carolina? No. North Carolina. But- I love where you're going. So actually, some of the states that voted um, against since were Nevada, obviously Las Vegas, okay. but I don't think Las Vegas was around then. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think but so. Nevada, New Mexico, New York, like you said, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and I think there were a couple others. Um, I'm not entirely sure. The map was kind of weird, and I could be getting this wrong. But the map on Wikipedia said this: um, Rhode Island and Connecticut were actually the only ones to directly reject the amendment altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it really mattered for them if it is on a federal level. Yeah. So I think they had to anyway because it was like a federal a federal act. But I am going to pause right here because I think it's very important that I cite my sources. And if I don't cite them right now, I will probably forget. And these people need to get their credit. So sources for this episode are Wikipedia, Saturday Evening Post, 
history.com, of course, um, the Caddo Institute, and then slate.com came in real clutch when I was writing this. So big kudos to slate.com. Back on track. Yeah. So I don't think it really matters if it was on a federal level. I think everyone kind of has to abide yeah. by like the law. Um, however, I wonder if it's kind of like how marijuana is right now. Like they're just rejecting it and they can decriminalize it, I guess. So I wonder if that was kind of the same. You thing read my for... mind. I was just thinking that because, you know, mm -hmm. people obviously it's the law, but they find a way to work around yeah, it. Like on a, yeah. Like on a federal level, it is illegal. And on a state level, it's like, I guess, case by case situation. Mm -hmm. And you can decriminalize it or you can just have it legal in your state, whatever. But yeah, so Connecticut and Rhode Island were those two outliers. And I know while I'm saying this, you are asking yourself, but Lainey, why did prohibition happen to begin with? Like, why did it even start? Right? Like, just no drinking. Yeah. Shame on you. Like, because it was legal and then it became illegal and now it's legal again. So, why exactly did prohibition start? Well, I am not Wikipedia, so I can't give you the whole rundown. It would be very long in pages. So, I'm going to give you a very brief overview as to why their prohibition started. Okay. National Prohibition of Alcohol, which was active between 1920 through 1933 under idiot Herbert Hoover. Also, pinpoint this real quick. I know like some stuff about prohibition. I think it's a really cool decade or year, whatever. Um, oh, yeah, secret did bars. Did you know it was for 13 years? Wait, it went on for 13 years? It went on for 13 years. Why in my mind did I think prohibition was just legit like two years same i was i thought it was so sh like way I was like, shorter three years max three years max but 13 years? years this went on for 13 years yeah they started um the process in 1919 and it takes like a full year to be enacted or whatever um but yeah 13 years alcohol was illegal for 13 years this is why there was like huge bootleggers and huge like, I was gonna say I was like that makes there, more it was sense a long period they were able to establish a little bit longer yeah and like whenever I watch like the classic portrayal of like prohibition they're always like super crazy like super sneaky like bar areas and like that makes more sense like on two years you have this like well-established bar like people really like acted quick yeah right? and like now it's like oh it's 13 years of course that makes so much sense yeah it's like okay of course they're gonna like build like underground bars because people want to go out and like hang out you know yeah wow wow so that blew my mind sorry everyone's probably rolling their eyes being like how did you not know you're such a ding dong i know i'm a ding dong please don't be mad at me <laughs> but yeah 13 years but anyway, so the prohibition was dubbed the noble experiment, obviously, because they wanted to reduce crimes and corruption and solve social problems, reduce the tax burden created by prisons and poorhouses and improve health and hygiene in America. So they thought by eliminating alcohol from the picture, they were going to make a better, healthier, cleaner America. I bet they felt really accomplished. Threatened. <laughs> But yeah, so they wanted like this pristine image of America, you know. Interesting. And to your shock, uh, I think you will be so surprised to know that Prohibition was actually a huge failure. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Alcohol is legal. 
Call the police. Right? It was it was a failure. I thought for sure this plan would work. So prohibition ultimately failed because at least half the adult population wanted to carry on drinking. And policing of the Volstead Act was riddled with contradictions, biases, and corruption, and the lack of a specific ban on consumption hopelessly muddied the legal waters. Um, so when I was reading this, first, I mean, over half the population wanted alcohol to be legal, so you're just fighting. You're just fighting it for nothing. And I'm sure some of those people honestly didn't even care to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then the Volstead Act, so... I was trying to do some research on this. I kind of got a little overwhelmed, but I think the Volstead Act happened before the 18th Amendment. So I think they tried out this act first and then the prohibition started. But then when I was reading, I think it was saying the opposite. And so I just got really confused. So just so our listeners know, the Volstead Act happened intertwined with the prohibition. It occurred. It occurred, yes. So... um. I'm just going to read some examples of the Volstead Act and tell me if this makes any sense to you. Okay. Uh, So it said, you may legally drink liquor in your own home or in the home of a friend when you are a guest. Buy intoxicating liquor on a bona fide medical prescription of a doctor. You can buy a pint every 10 days. Consider any place you live permanently as your home. If you have more than one home, you may keep a stock of liquor in each. Keep liquor in any storage area if it's not for the exclusive use of your family or guests. Get a permit to move liquor when you change your residence and manufacture, sell, or transport liquor for non-beverage or sacramental purposes provided you attain a government permit. So, okay, that is what you may legally do. Okay, yeah. So, okay, here, get this, get this. It said you may not legally, so this is this is illegal now, okay? So we're treading on the no-no territory. We're on the bad side. Yeah, you okay? So you cannot legally carry a hip flask. Okay. Give or receive a bottle of liquor as a gift. Okay. Take liquor to hotels or restaurants and drink it in the public dining room. Buy or sell formulas or recipes for homemade liquor. So you can't even like go and like, hey, can I buy that recipe for this like cool like cocktail? Can't even do that. Can't even buy that. Uh, you can't ship liquor for beverage use. You can't store liquor in any place except in your home. You cannot display liquor signs or advertisements on your premises, and you cannot remove reserve stocks from storage. This is all stuff that we follow today. Okay. I mean, it's just whatever. whatever not important. It's just weird. Yeah. Uh, so so the 18th Amendment only has 111 words, while the Volstead Act was over 25 pages long. It was confusing. And the day before it went into effect, the New York Daily News, uh, they actually interpreted it for its readers because it was just so long and confusing. But lots of confusion and contradictions, like exactly what would be a bona fide guest, like who, what, what even is that? Yeah. So, even a casual reading of the act reveals apparent inconsistencies and legal rulings about different matters conflicted with each other. And just everyone was just confused because depending on your wealth and your status, obviously you're going to get away with more things because then it'd be a loophole you'd have, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just, it was just a disaster. So again, to recap, we learned prohibition was failing. It was failing and messy. Yes. So Now, we're six years after the 18th Amendment went into effect, which is still mind-blowing to me because I thought prohibition was only like three months. Um, 
not only were Americans still drinking, but they were actually drinking more and more every year. So the annual per capita liquor consumption had risen from 0.02, gallons of alcohol. Yikes. Yeah, yikes. Most of this bootleg liquor wasn't actually coming from smugglers or from homemade stills, um, but the actual main source of illegal liquor was actually legal liquor. Yeah. What do you mean? Legal liquor. Jordan looks so confused. I am. Okay, so just asking, what else would you use alcohol for? Cleaning. Okay, okay. So as you can see, you still needed alcohol oh. for something. Oh, Yes. I get it now. Yes. Okay. So people were drinking things such as like rubbing alcohol and other industrial alcohols that were um, uh, that were denatured. And so this is extremely toxic. Yeah. So you can't just drink denatured alcohol because you go and die, mm -hmm. right? So they weren't drinking it. They weren't just like grabbing it off the shelf and then like chugging it. Um, so... The bootleggers, they were doing something called distillation. Okay. I know what distillation. Like distilling. Yeah. Like distilled water or whatever it is. Yeah. You've heard that word before. Yeah. So this is a process of basically separating liquids. So and th so they're, the process, they're trying to separate the liquids. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to take the bad stuff in the alcohol out of the normal alcohol. So they're trying to separate them, okay? Okay. So they used like boiling points and gas. And so basically they would heat it up really hot and then the, the gas would come out, yeah, in the tubes. And then they would go into another chamber basically. And I guess the stuff that they're trying to boil out floats a certain way. I don't really know. And that's how they get to the one part. But so then the gas is then condensed back into the liquid form and then collected. And then I just wrote blah, 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 because this is all sciencey and chemistry and I have a degree in psychology. <laughs> so, but that makes sense. So they're taking mm -hmm. alcohol out of the other chemicals, yes, basically. I've seen the so TV portrayals the too. So the, like the yes. stuff moving and changing colors. Uh -huh. you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so this would ultimately separate the harmful toxins from the denatured alcohol and then turn it into good old drink, drink, drunk alcohol. Hmm. They got very DIY. They sure did. If there, there's a will, there's there a, way. a way. <laughs> now we go back in time. Ooh, time in our little noises. time machine. We're, we're back in 1926. It is Christmas Eve. Mm. It is snowing. It is New York City. There are uh, Christmas carolers singing in the background, but really creepy old vintagey noises. Ooh. You know what I'm talking about? So it's like creepy Christmas music. I am painting the scene, but we are at the Bellevue Hospital in New York City on Christmas Eve in 1926. The nurses are tending to their normal sick patients that one would typically deal with on Christmas Eve, and a man stumbles into the emergency room, screaming in fear of Santa Claus. The man was flushed and, ga and gasping in fear. He kept telling the nurses that Santa Claus was chasing him with a baseball bat. What? Exactly. Oh. Our story turned. 
So obviously this was an alcohol-induced hallucination symptom. <laughs> there was no Santa Claus with a baseball bat. I hate to break it to you. This was a hallucination. What? Yes. So buckle your seatbelt. You you just so, matrix me. Okay, keep going. <laughs> so did I get you? Did I hook you? You in hooked me in. Keep going. Story? Boom. Okay. So before the hospital staff realized how he actually sick he was, the man died. From what? And then another party goer. And then another party goer. And another one. And another one kept coming in with weird hallucinations and really bad symptoms. And by the end of the next day, the hospital staff tallied up more than 60 people who had been desperately ill by alcohol and eight had died. Jumping cows. No way. Two more days later, another 23 people died. 83 so far. No, that is only 31 so far. Oh, I thought you said... 60 something or so oh no so 60 people had became desperately ill like some like 60 people got really really sick okay and um only eight of only and then only eight had actually died and then two days later then 23 more people died so rising the tally to be 31 i think oh whoa okay but people are getting sick so this is so 23 is just a death like i'm sure that the number of going. people getting sick the first two days was just like whoop, it's party season it's christmas eve you drink right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with your family somewhere. It's like enjoying hanging shots. out, relaxing, sipping that eggnog. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Eggnog. Okay. So now alcohol poisoning was not something rare to the doctors at this time, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, even during the era of prohibition, alcohol poisoning was still still pretty common. The bootlegged whiskeys and bathtub gin were known to often make people sick, and it wasn't uncommon for the hidden stills to become frequently tainted with metals and other impurities. However, this outbreak was different. It was different than anybody else getting sick. But why? I'll tell you why. The U.S. government is why. This story goes all the way up to the top. It's all the way it goes to the top. It just goes deep. <laughs> or deep down it doesn't even go to the top it goes down into the ground to dante's seven or eighth circle of hell <laughs> Ooh, i love that okay moving back on track mm-hmm. the government at this time while this is all happening and during prohibition they became increasingly frustrated that people continued to drink even after it was banned they were all like like i'm mad people are still drinking why aren't you listening what can i do yeah what can i do to make them stop drinking because we want to be pure we want to be danny devito rolling around in hand sanitizer from it's always sunny in philadelphia america must be pure (laughs) but 60 million gallons of industrial alcohol were stolen annually to supply or for supply Okay, so remember that you think that these bootleggers, these mobsters, these speakeasy owners, they're just going to go to the hardwood st- hardware store and they're just going to like pick up all like the legal alcohol. Like, all right, bye, Frank. See you later. Nah, no, they're going to cut corners. They're going to cut corners, right? They would steal this. So <laughs> poor little Ace's hardware down the street is getting like all of their inventory stolen. <laughs> like no one can find <laughs> Any kind of cleaning alcohol, rubbing alcohol, whatever it is, can't find it because the mob took it. So sorry if you're trying home repair. 
Um, so in 1926, so six years after Prohibition started, President Calvin Coolidge and the rest of the government had to act in a different way and try a different kind of enforcement because obviously just making it illegal was just just not cutting it's it. Not there kind of had to be. It's just not working because people are still doing it and it's really easy to to get around. Yeah, right, gotta be. And tough obviously dad. you can't get. Yeah, and you can't really get rid of the industrial alcohol because that's something that that you need, yeah. right? So that can't be a solution, right? Mm-hmm. So. The only logical thing to do would would be for the Treasury Department to require the distillers of the industrial alcohols manufactured in the United States to add materials and components to render the alcohol completely undrinkable, even with distilling it first. So doesn't matter if you distill it, it's still going to be undrinkable. You cannot drink this alcohol. It'll it's bad bad news bears did they like release at least a statement saying hi no oh no oh my yes. god mm-hmm. okay so the chemicals include so if you're all sciency and chemistry you're gonna know what some of these are me i know what like four are and they're not good so the chemicals include kerosene gasoline iodine mercury formaldehyde and chloroform they put mercury in there are you usa we need to sit and (laughs) talk yeah we need to have a little chit chat okay so but the most that's not even it but the most common ingredient and the most toxic ingredient they added to the mix was methyl alcohol Uh, i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but methyl alcohol which is also called wood alcohol um, wood alcohol, it has no distinctive odor and it looks and tastes just like regular drinking alcohol. So there is no way to tell a difference, even from sight, from taste, from smell, anything. It looks identical to alcohol. Um, however, when ingested, it breaks down into a form of formaldehyde. And so those who drink this, again, cannot taste the difference. So you would totally think that it would be A-OK. It is alcohol. All alcohol tastes like poop. So I would just, I would, I instantly think I'm poisoned. I drink any alcohol because I hate the taste of alcohol so much. But yeah. So wood alcohol produces a short-lived inebriation quickly followed by a hangover. If lucky, mind you, if lucky, the drinker might experience only a headache, nausea, and several abdominal pain. If unlucky, Mm. the drinker could be blinded. This took only three drinks of wood alcohol. They could also be paralyzed or killed. So this was not something you mess around with. I cannot believe they put that in the alcohol. Yeah, well, well, so the whole thing was like, well, you shouldn't be drinking this anyway. So why are you drinking it? I mean, that was their whole argument. Like, literally, you would be alive if you weren't breaking the law and drinking something that you shouldn't be drinking. Oh, awful way to go about this. Mm-hmm. So this new formula, or some would call it a recipe, made it impossible for the toxic chemicals to be distilled out and could not be renatured. So they were like maybe going through the distillery process and they think they did it and they didn't know. Yeah. So these ingredients could not be separated. 
The most deadly part was that the Treasury Department demanded more methyl alcohol up to 10% of the total product. So the results were immediate as soon as they did this. Um, remember that this went into effect in 1926 and the Santa Claus incident happened also in 1926. So we have seven years left of prohibition. Yeah. Yeah. So this didn't even stop prohibition. Yeah. Public health officials responded with shock after the holiday season of 1926. Obviously, they're like, holy cow. Um, in a quote from a New York City medical examiner, uh, examiner, his name is Charles Norris, and he's pretty openly like, what the heck, you know? Um, he stated at a press conference, the government knows it is not stopping drinking by putting poison in alcohol, yet it continues its poisoning processes, heedless of the fact that people determined to drink are daily absorbing that poison. Knowing this to be true, the United States government must be charged with the moral responsibility for the deaths that poison liquor causes, although it cannot be held legally responsible. His department issued warnings to citizens uh, detailing the dangers in whiskey circulating the city. Uh, he quoted again saying, practically all the liquor that is sold in New York today is toxic. Read one nineteen twenty eight alert. So that's how it tells you that it just gets out, you know, like, and people are probably mixing, remixing, you don't know, but basically it all, it, it's, it's, it's toxic. Yeah. Like don't, you can't trust any of it. You can't trust anything. Yeah. He publicized every death by uh, alcohol poisoning even. And he assigned his toxologist, uh, an Alexander Gettler, to analyze the confiscated whiskey uh, for poisons, uh, which concluded the list of poisons and chemicals I, I stated, of, stated above. So like the chloroform, the formaldehyde. Mm -hmm mercury iodine whatever all that stuff is and just to wrap this up at the end of the day and i saw an article and i a thousand percent agree with this at the end of the day um this was a direct attack on the lower class it really is i'm not going to say that they purposely were targeting the lower class but it was a direct attack to them they probably should have thought that through because wealthy people they were the ones that were able to afford the best whiskey available the best drinks like while the lower class was just left to drink the low grade stuff, you know, and just to get it off the shelf and to do like because they can't afford way. anything because they can't afford it and they still want to have a like they want to they're entitled to have they're a party human and have a good they want to have fun and talk to their friends you know what I'm saying just because like, you're poor you can have that. fun exactly it's so stupid um yeah so they were left to drink the low grade stuff and left to get sick and for some to die unfortunately but the whole idea was. I mean, the whole situation was just a big idea to scare people into giving up illicit drinking. But instead, by the time Prohibition ended in 1933, the federal poisoning program, by some estimates, had killed at least 10,000 people. They learned a big lesson. Did they, though? No, 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 not them. I'm talking like the government. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying, like, did the government learn their lesson? No, they like didn't. But like... As a government, you're supposed to protect your people and you're supposed to look out for them. And it, and obviously, most of your country wanted alcohol. Yeah. Right? So if more than half of your country is like gung-ho like for alcohol, like given to the, what the people want, because 
like like I said before, if there's a will, there is a way. Like there is going to be an illegal market for whatever it is, especially as something as huge and hot of a ticket item as alcohol. So make it legal and tax it. You see that with uh, the the weed pens that sometimes went around. Like a, a year or two ago, they had those. Um, well, everything's illegal, so you can't. So you can't regulate. Yeah, so kids it, are like know? buying off the streets because it's yeah. another way. So we need to regulate it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really interesting to see how uh, is it is it Oregon that legalized all drugs? I, uh, I don't know. It's either it's either Oregon or Washington. I can't. Uh, I think it's Washington. I think it's Washington, actually. But yeah, they legalized all all drugs. I don't know when that takes effect. I don't know if it's already been in, in effect. And I have some mixed feelings about it because that that freaks me out. Yeah. You know, thinking that like all these drugs are are legal and I'm like, what are the children, you know, Mm -hmm. but maybe they're onto something, you know, and, and I hope it works out and I really hope it stops a, the war on drugs and just the stigma behind like addicts, you know, Mm -hmm. cause they're humans and they need help and they don't need to be in a place like prison. That is not a place for someone with addiction to be in like, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I hope, too, that, uh, you know, they uh, don't make that mistake that the government made before and where they make a plan and yet. And then, like, poison the drugs. And, yeah, because that's like, I mean, I know there's some, like, over-the-counter uh, substances that you can get to make to make like meth or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know? And so that's like if they deliberately like super poisoned like the, the Sudafed, you know, they put a chemical in Sudafed when in, well, they can't do that because you have to take the Sudafed. So if ingested, it's doing its job. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Some there's a way. Kind of product, you know, and they made that poisonous and then that attacks those people, you know? That's a direct, that would be a direct hit on the lower class yeah. or those struggling, like you're already kicking them when they're down. Um, this is as far as addiction, obviously prohibitions a little bit, a little bit different, but there were alcoholics, people addicted to alcohol too. And they're going to find a way. I mean, addiction's a disease. So help them. And if you want your town or country to be pristine and pure and clean, then let's look at other categories. Let's not look at alcohol. Give them the that, tools to be better. Problem exactly love everyone um wow fantastic oh hold on wait i'm not done i have one more i have one more paragraph i'm sorry so officially the special uh denaturing program ended only uh only ended once the 18th amendment was replaced in uh december 1933 so they just continued to do it. No. <laughs> you no one really like said anything, I guess. Um, but the chemist war itself faded away before then. Slowly, the government officials, they just straight up quit talking about it. And when prohibition ended and the good grain whiskey reappeared, it was almost as if the craziness of prohibition and the poisonous measures taken to enforce it had never quite happened. No. So this is just something that's just like, oh, it happened. Yeah. They swept it out of the rug. They like lifted the rug and they're like, I mean, Let's honestly, not talk it. It, we're not talking it's about it. Pretty, yeah, I mean, it's something pretty easy to sweep under the rug just because, I mean, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol from the drugstore when it's like paint thinner or whatever. Yes. Like, you should not be drinking like, that no. like, for sure. But given the circumstances, I understand why people did. And it's like they're not the problem. I mean, people, they shouldn't be entitled to, to 
not have alcohol illegal. There's another they way. Have to go, they shouldn't have to go through those hoops to get alcohol. And what's so crazy is that like if it's just so normal today now and then like people died for something that we partake in pretty frequently. People shouldn't have had to risk their lives to have a good time. No. But with that, I will say um, that that was that was it for the chemist's war of prohibition. It was just a little story that I stumbled upon and I knew about prohibition. I knew like all the craziness, but I didn't know that they purposely and deliberately poisoned the American citizens to prove a point, I guess. I don't know. It's mind blowing. Like, and I and I'm still gonna sit here in disillusioned that prohibition was thirteen years. Right though, that is yeah, that that's also what what gets me to this day. I, it still doesn't seem right. Right, like nineteen twenty to nineteen thirty three, and I've seen those numbers before, but for some reason, I never associated that that was thirteen years. Maybe I just never looked at the two. Maybe I just saw the three. Mm-hmm. So maybe I thought, you know, I don't. I'm making excuses. I mean, think about it. Uh, Quarantine has been a year, and prohibition was thirteen years. God, imagine. Right, just imagine. But to wrap things up, I guess that is our episode. And thank you so much for joining us for an episode of Hellbound History. And please be good to thy neighbor. You don't want to be on this podcast. See you next time in hell.